You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole, and I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing. Of course, this is the 602 Club, and we're so glad you're here. And with me, as she is always, mummy expert, Christy Morris. I am a librarian. (laughs) Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to offend. My bad. My bad. And I am so glad to have back the one and only second contact man, Tristan Riddell. I listen to 602 every damn week oh you're so sweet man and and you know what i'm so i'm so thankful that you talked me into watching lower decks and like it's it's the best thing trek has done since the end of enterprise it's so so good so anyway yeah for those of you uh wondering what he means by second contact i have a show called second contact a lower decks commentary podcast which everybody should check out it's it's a lot of fun uh me and charlene schmidt will we will play the the latest lower decks episode and then talk about it as it's running we make it we make it fun and entertaining whether you're watching it live or not and uh it's it's just it's i had to convince rushing to watch it because i have my issues with new trek and i know you got yes. you do too yep rushing but lower decks is just it pure is. joy it's just a it love totally letter to the fans is. it's a love letter well done uh but we're not here to talk about star trek because we got a whole network to do that uh we're here to talk about everything that's not star trek on the 602 club and this week we're going to be talking about the mummy from 1999 not to be confused with the abomination from tom cruise uh, a few years ago um but before we get in we want to say thank you uh to everybody for listening, please check us out. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're getting your podcasts. Uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, reviews really do help people find the show. So if you're listening there, just hit the button. Give us a quick star rating and review. We'll read that review out in the show if you give it to us. Uh, of course, you could find us online uh, on Twitter. We'd love to have your follow. We'd love to interact with you over there at the 602 Club. We're also on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. Also, you can find us online at trek.fm. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Listeners only discussion group, the Babel Conference. You can join. Hey, talk to listeners from all over the world about what's going on. Uh, and you could find us at trek.fm slash contact where you can send an email to Christy and I and we'll get that. And we'll be able to talk to everyone uh, about whatever you have. Maybe maybe you've got ideas about shows or you've got something you wanted us to talk about or maybe we didn't cover a topic in a movie that you thought was really good. Let us know. Now, y'all, I wanted to ask you this. This movie came out in 1999, obviously a massive year for movies, you know, with The Matrix coming out that year, you had The Phantom Menace, of course, Uh, and so Mm -hmm. great big year for movies, and I'm wondering, was this a movie that you guys experienced back then, or was it something that you had to find later? Where did you guys first experience The Mummy? I was enamored with it from 1999 onward. I was on board with this film. I was super excited for it. 
I loved Brendan Fraser. I thought he was uh, like I was one of the one of the the kids who really enjoyed George of the Jungle, and um, I'm trying to think. I, I, I really liked him in With Honors uh, with uh, with Joe Pesci. Yeah, and uh, like I, I'm blanking on some other ones because I'm I'm losing my timeline. I can't remember what came after the Mummy and what came before. But I've always been a big fan of Brendan Fraser, and I feel like. This uh, when I when I saw the trailer for this, I was like, "Oh man, this is gonna be his film. Like this is this is gonna skyrocket him into um into the thoughts and minds of uh, of Americans at home." You know, like George in the Jungle was very kiddie, but it was very successful. And but this one was gonna be much more for the masses. And yeah, like I, I saw, I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theater. And as soon as it came out on VHS, I bought it. And I was like an evangelist for this film. Like anybody who would come over, I'm mm-hmm. like, have you seen the mummy? Like, have you seen Stephen Summers, the mummy? Come on, let's, let's watch it together. I, got, I remember like I drove to Kansas city with my dad to see, uh, to see my, my half sister. And we brought it with us specifically to show it to her. <laughs> and Aww. yeah, it was just, I absolutely love this film from day one. That's cool. I like to hear a story like that where it's it's got so much more value to you than just oh yeah, I remember seeing it that one time. So um yeah, I, I would say I'm kind of along the same lines, but um not quite as much. But my dad and I, I remember, saw this together, I think um not in the theater, it was at home, but it was one that was in regular rotation after that. Um but definitely same as you, Tristan, with Brendan Fraser being like a staple part of my childhood. Um, And uh, then seeing him starring in this movie, I thought this is going to catapult him into now being like an action star, like a more serious actor than just being the comedy go to anymore. Um, And I was kind of familiar with um, Rachel Weiss already. So I was still interested in seeing her in it as well. Um, And then, you know, there were a lot of really cute guys in that movie, aside from Brendan Fraser. So I was okay with that too. Yeah. You know, it is really interesting to me because, you know, this is, um, this is a movie that obviously came out in a really pivotal year, as I mentioned. And it, with the pivotal nature of this film, uh, in the sense that like it was, it was up against a, a lot of things that year. And, um, I remember watching this in the theater. It came out and enjoying it and thinking, oh, that's 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 really fun. You know, it, it had so many of the hallmarks of the action adventure movies that I had grown up with. You know, I, I definitely grew up in the era of, um, you know, a, a lot of old Disney movies, you know, the action adventure Disney movies, you know, like Christy, you and I have talked about some of them here, like, uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or, you know, the Swiss Family Robinson mm-hmm. type of thing, Kidnapped, all those kind of things. So I really grew up with that type of film and that and that um, feeling in film. And this really hits that, you know, like it, it has that. And so I think that was something that uh, I really uh, actually ended up appreciating about this movie. And yeah, I mean, it it is a movie that for me, did get overshadowed by other movies that came out. Um, obviously that year specifically, like I was very much enamored with and fell in love with the matrix that year. Like that movie, 
I was old enough yeah. and it completely changed what I thought of film, you know. Um, and, you know, obviously I'm a massive Star Wars fan. And so it's it's the Phantom Menace. It's the beginning of the prequel era. So that really changed things for me as well. So, but all that together and all that said, that didn't mean that I didn't enjoy The Mummy and think, oh, wow, this is great. And what I was really interested because... You know, I always love to do this to kind of go back and kind of look at everything. And I had no idea that this movie has such a cursed origin. Like, they've been trying to make this movie since 1987. uh, And George Romero was actually trying to make this movie. And I wanted to ask you about some of the ideas that they had. One is his first idea is to make the mummy like a Terminator film with a much more modern take. So when you hear that, does that sound interesting to either of you? Well, I think it kind of depends because none of the movies, you know, with, with this movie mm-hmm. being in development hell with with having the cursed origins, as you say, it, it, I have a I have kind of a, a divorced feeling towards it because none of those movies were right. this movie. Sure. And it was just it was really just the studio saying we want to make a mummy movie. You know, let, let's make a remake of The Mummy. It was never like, let's make a movie with Rick O'Connell and Evie and everything like that, like set in set in the, the 30s or the 20s or something like that. And and so and we've gotten a Mummy reboot since then. And there's so mm-hmm. many Mummy movies throughout mm-hmm. time that it when I hear about it, I'm just like, oh, maybe that could have been interesting or maybe this could right. still be interesting. But you know, like all of it pales in comparison to to I think what we got, what we ended up getting, because as you were talking about earlier about how this kind of harkens back to the days of old with Disney action adventure movies from when we were growing up. This is when I sit back in my rocking chair, you know, with my mint julep saying, you know, they don't make movies yeah, like yeah. this anymore. And mm-hmm. George A. Romero, you know, wanting to make like a zombie like mummy film. Well, that's very much on oh, yeah. brand. And we've seen a Romero film before. We've seen several Romero zombie films. So it just would have been, you know, put in Egypt. And then there mm-hmm. you go. You have Romero's The Mummy. Mm-hmm. That's my take on it. But yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that you still end up kind of getting some of that vibe with the way that they play Imhotep in this movie. Um, not in a bad way. Um, you know, that it is this constant impending doom kind of feeling, but obviously not the uh, time sure. travel piece. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I, but I think that it's, it definitely, like you were saying, Tristan, it's what we get is a lot better than all of the different iterations you hear about in the development process. It, but it is crazy how many different people it goes through hands wise of treatment of the script um, that it takes 12 years to finally come out. Um, and then there's movies that have taken longer. Mm-hmm. But I, I do like that they ended up going with, for one, a more scary version yep. of a mummy. Because I remember seeing, you know, the original version of the mummy from the 30s. And it's really not threatening at all. It's a guy mm-hmm. in cloth wraps who moves really slow and stick the arms out. You know, this is like... He's like a living, breathing human being because he's taken the parts from people's living bodies and stuff. I thought that I thought that was a cool way to interpret it differently. Yeah, I mean, just the thought of, and I, I always think it's so interesting how 
film works, you know, in the sense that like, oh, we have something that's successful. Okay, well, what can we do then to like do something around that, you know, and, and make it work for ourselves? And the, the idea of, you know, creating a, you know, uh, and it's not a terrible idea to create a movie with a Terminator-like mummy, I guess. But I, I do think that it just doesn't feel original at that point. You know, you're, you're not dealing with anything that feels like it has any originality to it, which is a little bit disappointing. Um, and, you know, I mean, it doesn't really help then, too, that you're trying to kind of fit something into a mold that maybe feels more modern. And so, I, you know, the idea of having it either, you know, Romero even comes back later on and decides, you know, maybe he'll try to make basically a zombie movie with mummies, and it's just like, okay, well, that's even lamer. Um, and... So I, mm-hmm. I don't think really, to me, any of that works. And, you know, it it is Stephen Summers who comes in and, you know, says that this movie should feel like Indiana Jones or Jason and the Argonauts or those kind of things. And so I think one of the most important things as I was rewatching this movie was the decision to put it in the 20s and to give it a certain type of tone, which the tone that they go for is, hey, we want this to basically be a romantic comedy type movie almost with action adventure. So it's like romancing the stone or something like that. Uh, And we're going to give it that feel. How do you, in the end, how do you feel like that works? Do you feel like that was the best choice then that they made here? I have to say yes, because I enjoy it so much. I mean, it's the, it's that action adventure with a a romantic subplot where of course they're going to be, you know, they're going to fall in mm-hmm. love because they're two good looking people who are the male and female leads. Right. That's how movies work. You know, like that's, that's just <laughs> how it goes. And it's just the, there's not so much comedy that it's just a gaff all the time that it's, there's, it's not mm-hmm. jokey. It's just, it's the right amount of action, the right amount of horror, the right amount of comedy and the right amount of romance where you don't roll your eyes yeah. at any particular yep. item. It's, it's, it's a very well balanced overall adventure Mm -hmm. film that has something for everybody yeah i think that the biggest weakness it had in all the development was exactly what you were saying matt where it's trying to bring zombies into the modern era in the movie it just never worked every time they were trying to make it work that way the time period was part of the problem and then the tone yeah i mean you have to have a good mix of these other things along with the story to make it interesting and i mean really all their iterations as well never mentioned having a hero that's driving it other than the mummy. So I think that that adding of uh, O'Connell and having him be the main focus and, you know, him battling it out with the mummy Mm -hmm. was another great choice that they went with instead of it just being about the villain. I I agree with that completely. Um, I think that's something that Chris, you rightly call out the fact that we make the transition to this movie being more about the hero and those characters rather than the mummy is the big thing you know um it's the thing that you know even in the terminator movies the movies aren't about the terminator you're right they're about the other human right. characters <laughs> the terminator is around i mean you know episode 
part two of the Terminator is is more about the Terminator, but it's 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 really not his story. And so I think they rightly called out like, no, this this you can't really make the mummy interesting. Um, there's no character yeah, growth there. No, I I think that's absolutely <laughs> right. And and I do think that maybe that's something to kind of talk about here before we kind of get into some other things, which was the fact of. This character, this this mummy character, as the villain, really is like the evil version of Romeo and Juliet. You know, like he he wants nothing more than to bring, uh, you know, his love back to life, regardless of the costs. Um, and so, just like a really evil version of that story, and of course both of them don't really care about, you know, who they hurt with their quote unquote love, you know, like they're willing to bring down an entire dynasty regardless of, of the cost. And so um, how, how does that, how does that kind of work as the main impetus for the story? Cause that's actually where we start the movie like was, is with that backstory. I think it's beautiful that we get a backstory for the mummy that it's not just, Oh, this is a creature like alien, you know, this isn't just a creature like mm-hmm. predator where, where we actually have some sort of, don't take this the wrong way, but like some sort of emotional investment in the story where we mm-hmm. understand the, while we may not agree, but we understand his motivations. Like this, this is, this is why he's doing what he's doing. It's demented. It's mm-hmm. genocidal, but it's, it's why he's doing it. It's it's for the for the sake of love and for the sake of bringing back his beloved. And like you said, it's a twisted Romeo and Juliet. And I think that was actually Arnold uh, Vosloo's idea was he, he agreed to be the mummy. He agreed to be Imhotep um, when he talked to Stephen Summers. But he said, he's like, I'm going to play this completely straight. I want this to be like, I want to play this like it's my own love story, even if it's not. He says that he didn't want it to be overly jokey. He didn't want to just be a monster. Like he wants to play it as he is the hero of his own story. And I really respected that when I read that. And I think that works. And we need that backstory to have that to kind of raise the stakes and feel like you have two forces battling each other and it's a battle of wills. One is survival, one is dominance. And if you just have survival, then I mean that can be okay. We have the we have a lot of those movies and they're made very well. But this one gives you even more of a stick. 1,000%, yes. I think that it is also this beautiful juxtaposition of the two of them with Imhotep and Anaxunamun's story feeling like something you can, like you were saying, understand, um, but it's still wrong the way that they go about everything. But then you also feel bad for them that, everyone else from the 20s that's now come into this story is trying to keep them apart, even though you know it's wrong. (laughs) So I I like that they have that piece of it. And uh, I think that the choice of him as the um, mummy character was really great casting. I mean, they said he got the role after one audition, whereas other people like Rachel Weiss had to audition multiple times before she got a call back. So, I mean, he was right to want to play it that way and to be very serious about it and not make it a silly creature. Yeah, I think one of the things that really makes it work is exactly what you both are saying. And I I was thinking about this, the, the idea of creating a 
villain that does have something recognizable to it. Like something that we can all kind of cling to a little bit, which is the idea that you would, you know, fall in love with somebody. And um, that, you know, you might be um, deterred from actually loving that person, you know, like, or or something might stand in your way. And and of course, you know, the, this is the, the worst version of that. You know, these two people are, are quite selfish in their, <laughs> in their love. And um, it's the very worst versions of that. But I think it really does kind of work um, here to kind of give you something to where there's a there is a part of you that can understand what it is that's driving these characters and i think that's a that's a good thing like you want to be able to have some sort of um ability to kind of have some connection to them otherwise they are just villains that you can kind of throw away in your mind like you know and i think that's a good thing that we can't just easily get rid of them as characters or just disregard them completely um so i really like that um and i think something that you mentioned tristan that i think is really important was the idea of just brendan Fraser himself and and just casting him in general with this movie and you know he's somebody who wasn't necessarily their first choice because they looked at like Tom Cruise and like they asked Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, they all, you know, and I was thinking about all of those other actors and one of the, you know, to me, the thing that they just bring, they don't bring to this is the ability to, I think, play it. And, mm, I don't think they could play it the same. They couldn't be as fun. You know, like, I, I don't think they have the spirit necessary. I mean, the closest you could probably get actually is Brad Pitt. Because that's exactly right? what like, I was going to say. He's from the that closest list. you could get to being, I think, this fun. Because I, I feel like with this particular direction, you needed a hunky man. And I'm not trying to be funny here. Like, I, I, like you need someone who's a rogue. Tom Cruise, beautiful man, great actor, not a rogue. Um, you know, Ben Affleck at that time, no, not even close. Nor Matt Damon at in 1999, not even close. But Brad Pitt, you know, he's this is post Legends of the Fall. The river runs through it. He's got mm -hmm. the hunky down, but he's also got the. Um, it, Brad Pitt does have the comedic chops. He doesn't bring it out a lot, but it's there. Like you see him use it, and he uses it really well. And I think this. This could have been, I don't want to say just as good, but because I love Brendan Fraser in this, but I think he could have done it and it would have been, it, it would have mm -hmm. been an enjoyable film. E even if it was Brad Pitt and Rachel Weisz, I, th I think that that would have been a cool yeah. pairing too. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, it definitely at this time in Brad Pitt's career, he was that kind of actor. He could also have that lovable quality that, you know, Frazier has from doing things like George of the Jungle. Um, you see that similarity in the two of them way more than you would the others. Um, and yeah, I think that most of the time, Cruz, aside from what, you know, we know from like Top Gun and stuff like that, um, his roles after that were much more serious. So I think that it wouldn't have been as good of a balance of a movie 
having one of them um, to have the the comedy and the romance that you wanted to have for this kind of movie and to have a character that's like an Indiana Jones or a Han Solo um, to really believe in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, Tristan, you were saying something earlier in in the way in which, you know, this character has a roguishness to him and, and how important that roguishness really is to um, what you get. And, and in many ways, I think... You know, for myself, I always kind of think of that as like the Han Solo type character or the Indiana Jones type character because, you know, Harrison Ford plays that just absolutely perfectly. Like he's so good at playing that role. It's a mainly that's because that's probably just that's who Harrison Ford seems to be in real life. <laughs> and that's why he's so good at it. But Brendan Fraser, mm-hmm. I think, pulls that off but with a slightly more comedic bent. And that's obviously what this movie is going for is to be uh, lean into a little bit more of, of the comedy of things, but at the same time have a a nice foundation. And I think Brendan Fraser just brings that to him and he does have the right kind of like cocksure attitude that you want from this character. And at the same time, he also has a combination of the different versions of Indiana Jones we get because, like, he doesn't really want to be going back to this place because he knows that, like, this place is no good. It's it's worth staying away from, but he's willing to do it because he's interested in the girl. Um, and I I really do think that this movie would be much less successful without him in it. And, and, and in all honesty, I, I can't, really imagine anybody else pulling this off the way that he does. And so I am very glad that they ended up getting him for the role because it's just, it, I mean, he's so much fun. Um, and he's such a, like, I don't know. He, to me, he's, he is just kind of a great goofball. Um, and I love it, you know? Uh, so I did want to, to ask you guys, obviously you, when you have your leading man, you really do need somebody who fits with him really well. You know, they they looked at American actresses and ended up going with Rachel Weiss. And I think one of, to me, I, I'm glad that they didn't go with an American actress because to me, in many ways, for some reason, and I don't know if you guys agree, but I just feel like it works having her be British. Yeah, well, I think part of that too is because it's, the film is set in the twenties that it also makes sense to then have this kind of back and forth of the Brits and the Americans and know all the, the jokes they have at the Americans expense in the movie. Um, I think that helps it. And then, I mean, since we're bond fans, I think I can safely say all three of us, (laughs) um, we like to see some movies where they've got a, a lead role. That's a British actor or actress, Um, and see how they do it differently. Um, and I mean, Rachel Weiss was just already known for doing some really interesting roles. She's very good at the serious stuff, but it was nice to see her get to be a little silly, um, and to really lean into a romance. Um, but like you were saying earlier, Tristan, not too far into any one part of that, either comedy or romance or whatever. It's, it's a good balance. I fell in love with Rachel Weisz um, early on 
it was I think it was 1996's uh, Stealing Beauty with Liv Tyler, as well as I think in the same year, uh, Chain Reaction came out with Morgan Freeman and Keanu Reeves. Have either of you seen Chain Reaction? I have not. No. It is a very underrated and mostly unknown action film. It's very good. It's very good. I recommend everybody watch it. It's it, it's. I I don't want to spoil anything, but it's it it's just great. It's just a really good '90s action film, and Rachel Weisz plays a physicist in it. And ever since I watched those movies, specifically Chain Reaction, I was just like, man, this woman is amazing. Like she's beautiful in an understated way. She can do so much. She can do like her facial expressions are great. The things that she can do with her voice, uh, it's just. I thought she was amazing. And then when she, when this came out, it just solidified my love for this actress. And she is pitch perfect. And while they may have been considering a, a, a lot of different actresses, Rachel Weiss was the only actress that was offered the role. And I think they were very smart in doing that. And I was, I think she's very smart in saying yes, because this, just like it did with Brendan Fraser, it elevated their careers. Like once you get that Hollywood action film, that's like that big budget special effects, more people know your name. And, and yeah, I think she's, she's phenomenal. She's one of my favorites. I'll, I'll, I'll give anything that she's in a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, both. I think Christy, I liked the way you put it with this idea of like, there's just something about this being in the twenties and her being British that does really, really work. I think. Um, that that just makes this feel right, and and so I absolutely am, am glad that they went in that direction, um, and I think the fact that she plays off of Brendan Fraser really well, and and I think one of the things that's quite uh, interesting about this is that I don't know if if you would have expected her to kind of pull off the. Um, the silliness, right? I think that's the thing. Like there, there is this amount of like silliness that this movie has, especially when you think of like that scene where she knocks everything over in the um in the library. In the library, you know, which they did in one take. Yeah, which makes sense. It, they didn't have yeah. to do yeah, it again <laughs> because you know that that that's an insane um that's an insane stunt anyway. So. And the setup time for that would have been ridiculous because this is way before CGI. It was just, oh, we'll just do it in post. You know, no, there's none of that. Um, Mm -hmm. So this is all practical. And but I it's her playing of that that I think really works. One thing that I forgot to mention, and I apologize, was like like you bringing up the library made me think of it, you know, like having in a British British person in Egypt. Totally makes sense um, because of if you think about all of the Egyptian antiquities mm-hmm. that are in yes. Britain yep. right now. And mm-hmm. I know, I mean, in the controversy, if you look at Greece and Africa and like all of the stuff that's been plundered and stolen and taken and on display in, in, um, in Britain, it totally makes sense that you would have British people who are mm-hmm. experts uh, in Edip- Egyptology. Right. Mm-hmm. And that that adds that 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 solidifies the story. It grounds it in some realism because you have the British person who is the intellectual who knows their stuff. And then you have the American yank, you know, like gunslinger. And mm-hmm. I think it just plays off really mm-hmm. well on some and on some harmless 
stereotypes. Yeah, I I like the way you put that, Tristan. There is there's a there is a place in film like that where you can have it be, I think, a very uh, harmless stereotype. Like you're not hurting anybody by kind of playing off um, th- that those type of ideas at all. I, I like I'm not offended as yeah. an American that that you're doing that. You know, <laughs> like no, I, I you know, and and it's in the twenties. You think of this; it's not that re- it's not that removed from the the wild west in the first place like we're not that far away yeah. from that and so in the late 1800s so uh, i think it, it does really work and you put those two together and and they you know i think that they really make the movie and um they they make you feel good about the movie in many ways like and and they help you have a good time because you have these characters uh, that i enjoy watching on screen um and i think that's really that's the 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 biggest thing that you want in a movie like this is you really do want characters that you're gonna have a good time with that you're gonna enjoy spending time with and so i think they do a great job in that and I just wanted to throw in really quick, too, um, because I know that it's not a main character, but there were a lot of really good um, actors and actresses in there as um, support characters. I And I just specifically wanted to mention Oded Fair as um, mm-hmm. one of the Magi yeah. or the leader of them. Um, I thought he was so memorable. The costuming for him and the other guys that were like protectors mm-hmm. of... The secrets were so cool. And it, you just want to be one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, like at the face tattoos and everything. They were so cool. His accent is amazing. His yeah. voice is so cool. He's just got this, this verve about him. He's just, he, he's, he's, I, I agree with everything you said. He's just so amazing. I, I love him in this movie. And whenever he pops up, like from 1999 onward, because he hasn't been in a lot of things, at least not a lot of famous things. But whenever he pops up, I'm like, oh, 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 and I'll point at the screen literally. And originally he was supposed to die at the end of the movie. But Stephen Somerset, he was too awesome to kill off. Like he was too great uh, yeah. to kill off. And thankfully he didn't. So we got to see him again. And I'm really happy that he's in Star Trek now, too. So that's just cool. Oh, that is cool. So is this eight degrees of Star Trek? everything is (laughs) well i mean when you think about it just how many people have been in star trek in general like it's it's incredible yeah uh the just the amount of people that you've gotten in that show so i it's really interesting you know christy obviously we just watched jungle cruise which is Mm -hmm. legitimately a riff on this in many ways, like the same feel uh, that that you get in this film, like we're really riffing on this as as a, as um an idea, and of course, you know, you have the brother character, um, and I wanted to ask you guys, you know, I think my wife turned to me as we were watching this, and she goes, "This is how you do the brother." character right and especially in a movie like this and so i wanted to ask you both about that and and how you felt about his 
performance and, you know, uh, his p- portrayal and everything here in the film. I thought he was really charming. I thought he was funny. And <laughs> whenever there's introduction of siblings, it's always so funny because it's the mm-hmm. same speech every single time. Like, oh, you know me, baby sister. You know, like, <laughs> it's, it's like, oh, well, you don't, you remember that time when our parents died five years ago? Like, you know, it's, it's always stuff like that. But it's, I, um, I do really like, um, John Hanna. Mm-hmm. I think he's great. I think he's a very versatile actor. Like, he can do drama, he can do comedy. And he is very funny. I think there's a few times in the movie where I get a little eye rolly with him where I'm like, oh, okay, let's dial it back just a little bit, just a little bit. I feel like mm-hmm. he's in a movie where everybody's the comic relief. He is the comic relief. And so sometimes you can go a little overboard, mm-hmm. but oh, like that's very rarely like his awesome moments far outweigh the times where I feel like they pushed it maybe a little too far. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say I'm on the same page. I mean, really, it was just one or two times that he was annoyingly so comedic. Um, you know, definitely in the end, uh, really, we're going to cringe over the two heroes kissing. <laughs> this is not a Disney movie. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, but I think that his introduction in the movie is funny and definitely the first time you see this movie so unexpected and they're going to hit you with the jump scare right away. It still got me. I've seen this movie a million times and today my her- my husband heard me scream. <laughs> so it, that's a good scene. Um, but yeah, it, he does such a great job. He usually does ride that line very well of being funny without going too far. And um, I think my favorite scenes with him were his introduction and him reading the... Um, Book of the Living, I think is what they called it. The Book of Amun-Ra. I agree with both of you. Like, I think he is funny in the movie. I think for the most part, they do a good job without of keeping him from not going overboard. Because it, uh, you, you know, it is a fine line. Um, and I think one of the things that, that um, I found in this was that I never... For the most part, I wasn't frustrated by him as a character existing, right? Like, I I wasn't um, annoyed by him, um, which is a really good thing. Like, you don't don't want that in a film, uh, to to be annoyed by uh, the the character that you're watching on screen. And I I thought he was really good. Um, And so, there are a couple times, I think, like, you both have pointed out it's a little cringy um but that's okay you know like i i i i wasn't really bothered by it in many ways um which is great uh i thought again he's just he's a he's a great side character and yeah i could have done without the ridiculous like oh are we gonna kiss now like kind of thing like that 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 wasn't worth it um and you mentioned right at the beginning, but I think um, Arnold Voslo is great as Emotep. And I think what is nice, we talked about at the beginning, though, is them giving him that intro so that he is slightly more than just this one note villain. And I think that really get, that brings it to life in a way that it would not have. If they hadn't given him that. Um, and so 
otherwise, you know, I think he does a great job with being menacing and, and somebody who is is doesn't really care about any of the consequences of his actions and until he, you know, gets what he wants. You know, I think that part is is pretty great. So yeah, um I I I enjoyed um I enjoyed him a lot actually. Uh and so and that's important, I think, in this type of movie. Um so obviously this is an action movie. Like the the, the main part of this film is is the is it is full of action. And I wanted to ask y'all um about the the action in the film and, and especially when we look at a movie from nineteen ninety nine. How does it hold up for you guys? I think it's I, I think the action is great and it's hard to divorce it from the CGI where sometimes the CGI doesn't hold up but you know it's from 1999 you know it's 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 hard for these mo- movies of the 90s even 2000s to to have everything hold up but I think overall it does. Now once we get to <laughs> the mummy returns that's a different story. But with um with the first mummy, I mean, sometimes you can the the CGI mummies can look a, a little a little terrible. I don't want to say terrible, but like a little obvious. Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking about that fight towards the end where it's clear clearly Brendan Fraser just pantomiming the the sword fighting and the action, and they CGI the mummies in later. I mean, he does a great job of pantomiming it, but those mummies in particular look pretty computer generated mm-hmm. and again this is not a criticism of the film because they did the best that they they could in 1999 mm-hmm. but i'm saying all this to sum up that even though some of the cgi doesn't hold up the action that it contains is still amazing it's still edge of your seat it's still entertaining the the scarabs coming out of the bottom uh, uh, coming out mm-hmm. of the floor and uh, spewing forth vomiting on the beach and just moving forward and and just the um just like people getting melted by salt acid and and just like all the gunplay like not only do we get mummies and zombie type things and killer insects uh and we get amazing gunplay but we also get amazing sword play too you know like that's mm-hmm. just so like it's just all in one movie that's just fantastic well and and what are the curved swords called again it's like a um a reaper or something you know what i mean I'm not quite sure. It's like a U shape. Yeah, oh, I, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I don't hilt. know what their specific name is, yeah. unfortunately. But yeah, I know exactly what you're referring to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I love that they even throw in it, the riding of horses and camels. And they actually had um, real rats in that scene with Rachel Weiss on the table and stuff like that. Um, apparently, they even had um, stunned locusts. For that one scene where the uh, <laughs> Egyptologist is saying this is the end, um, they had to make the locusts calm down a little bit for that scene. I thought it was funny. But yeah, the action was excellent. I-, I think that it absolutely stands up. You get the feeling that the hero is not just um, a guy who's going to come in and do all of the action stuff, but also that he is capable of... Um, being like a gunslinger, um, being the the swashbuckler and doing so many different things that he's does very well. Um, and I like that they gave the heroine also 
her own capability of, you know, shooting a gun and having the fastest camel and stuff like that. You know, I, I thought that was cool to not just make her the damsel in distress. So, but yeah, I thought the action was good. The main times that I noticed the bad CGI was the intro with the letters of the oh, title gosh. looked very Terrible. dated. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh. Yeah. And uh, the ghost of Anaxuna Moon coming over in its, you know, glittery glory to come back into the body. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Like that, that it's, oh, it's almost like a wave. Yeah. Of, it's almost like a fluid yep. type yeah. spirit that comes. Through. Yeah. Like that kind of watery, fluidic feeling of CGI in, ni- in the 1990s was very rough. Like that was super right? infancy. <laughs> so, yeah, you're absolutely right on that one. Thanks. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> One of the, the the things about the action that I think that I really like that both of you are calling out is is that we get lots of different type of action in this movie. And I think, you know, with with this type of film, that is important. You don't you don't want to just be relying on one thing over and over again. And and many times these days I feel like with many action adventure movies or action movies were just kind of doing the same type of things over and over again. And especially when we talk about the idea as related to, you know, uh, CGI type of action, we just kind of feel like we're seeing it, uh, what we've already seen a million times. And with this, I think one of the benefits of it is the fact that we hadn't been, you know, doing this CGI thing forever yet. And so we didn't have that thing where we have seen it all before because, you know, they're they're pushing the boundaries and seeing what they can get away with. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of classic things here like, you know, horse riding and, you know, blowing up a boat, which is fun. And, uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. Like you said, Tristan, sword fighting and, you know, all of this type of stuff, which I, I think is is great. There are some fun, like, horror elements here, you know, when you, like, you just, the bug going inside of you and crawling around, that's terrifying to me, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And so I, I think they do a... The guy losing his eyes and his tongue. Oh, oh, Ugh. that's awful. I had to throw that it's in. It's awful. That was memorable for me. <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, I still, I every time the bug goes inside his boot i get completely wigged out so uh mm-hmm. one i don't like bugs uh, at all and uh two that's just the thought of something crawling around inside of me like that is is absolutely 100 terrifying so um you know i i think in the end to me the action still holds up now i i think we talked a little bit about the effects and and chris you rightly called out i think the worst effect in the movie is the font at the beginning and the name <laughs> of the movie. It just looks hideous. I'm not really sure even at that point who did that and thought, Oh, this looks great. Like you can barely read that. It says the mummy before it kind of like mm-hmm. terribly dissolves. Um, I think one of the things though about you know, especially like the mummy CGI and those kind of things is that it feels as archaic now as like when 
Jason and Argonauts looks like, you know, looked like like 40 years ago to people then. And so I I don't know. There's something about it to where it just doesn't bother me. Like, this is what they could do then, you know? And it's not about whether mm-hmm. it holds up now. It's whether or not it serves the story. And I think for the most part here, they don't use it to just use it. Like, hey, look what we can do. It's like everything that they're doing does feel like it It serves the story. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, like you, you heard me talk about how the CGI does look dated in, in some parts more than others, but they did what they could in 1999 and it services the story and it, none of it's gratuitous and none of it is needless and none of it is distractingly bad. You have to respect every movie within its time. You know, like not every movie is going to be like Terminator 2 where yep. the special effects still hold up today. You know, like and not every movie is going to be like Jason and the Argonauts, like you talked about, where you have that stop motion skeletons where it's mm-hmm. like at 10 frames per second. It's, yeah, it's it absolutely serves a story and it's still good enough 20 years later uh, to enjoy it and not think, oh my God, this is this is crazy bad. Yeah, I would say, you know, it. the only part that really cringe was cringe worthy for me was the title. Um, otherwise, it, it was things here and there. But overall, you definitely put it in rotation mm-hmm. as something that was the best for what it could be. Um, but and I, I really wanted to give them credit for everything that it took to put together the mummy himself effects wise. Um and so that's why I did want to bring that up really quick. It's just the fact that um, Arnold Vosloo decided to be the stand-in for all the motion capture when he could have had a stunt person do that. Um, and they worked on four different stages of the effects for the mummy to go from being stage one of completely decayed to stage two of like mostly regenerated with some skin bits showing through and then stages three and four where he's almost completely human looking again but still has one or two patches like his cheek was missing um that stuff was cool and that stuff to me still holds up yeah no i i think you're really right christy i I was reading that too and i was really impressed the fact that he was dedicated enough to the character to want to be the person to do that. And I think what was really interesting is that reminded me a little bit of the way that Andy Serkis felt about, you know, playing Gollum and the fact that, you know, he, he really, he wanted to be the person that was on screen, you know, with it, the characters um, were acting against the people were acting against. And I have a lot of respect for actors who are willing to do that to, to help out their other actors in their craft. I think that that's just really cool um, that, you know, that they would care about that in that way. And, you know, I, I think it's it's always a little interesting to me. You know, you can tell people that, you know, are just in it for the paycheck and then and they're gone. Um, and I think, you know, he clearly had a thought process about this character in a way that he wanted to see this character portrayed on screen and he was very clear about that with the director and he was very clear about that when he was doing the performance and even just, you know, making sure that the performance was 
as much him as possible, even if it was going to be a lot of, you know, ridiculous CGI at that point. I'm sure a lot of actors were like, this is ridiculous, you know, um, <laughs> but he he was in for it. And I think that's really cool. So one thing I do want to ask both of you, Christy, you, you know how much I love movie music and you know, one of the things with, and I will say, I think that a good action adventure movie is either made or broken by the music that's in there to accompany uh, the character. The, the themes that you create that um, they either really bring something to life um, or um, they just kind of are there. And I wanted to know, Jerry Goldsmith did this score, and, you know, he's done so many things uh, in the past, you know, whether, um, you know, for Star Trek or Rudy. I mean, the list is endless for the things that Jerry Goldsmith has done. What did you guys think of of this score? This It is my firm opinion that this movie would not have been as successful as it was without this music. And I don't say that a lot. And I, I don't say that often. I I truly believe that this music, this score, elevates the movie to a next level. And I, you still have a great action film. You still have great performances. But this movie packs a better punch with Jerry Goldsmith's tracks. It evokes the 20s. It evokes the era. It evokes the location. It evokes the genre. And it just, it is a perfect encapsulation of what this movie is supposed to be. And I, I listened to this a lot when I was a kid. I listened to this on, on its own. Like I had the score, I had the CD and I would listen to it while I read my Dune novels because it just felt appropriate. (laughs) I was just like, Mm -hmm. as I'm reading about the desert, I'm going to listen to a score that takes place in the desert and it just fits. And I, I can't say anything more than that. I'd really, truly feel like this is the guy who gave us the Universal Pictures fanfare mm-hmm. and so many great Star Trek themes from Next Generation of Voyager and and original films and, you know, uh, just Total Recall and Chinatown and Planet of the Apes. It, it just And he just brings it from decade to decade. And this is by far one of my favorite Goldsmith's tracks. Uh, this guy defined the the 90s, in my opinion, when it comes to to scores. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I really like this movie. I, that's strange. <laughs> no, really? I couldn't have picked that up <laughs> from from anything that you said so far. So that's a... Wow. That, <laughs> right here, folks. Revelation from Tristan Riddell. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to add, though. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Tristan. I think that... Well, obviously, I, I'm never never as big of a score person as Matt is or most other people, I think. But this was one that stood out to me definitely. And I was thinking about how it reminded me of another score and realized what it was, was the score that James Horner did for Mask of Zorro from 95. Not to say that it was derivative or anything like that, just saying that it followed the same kind of heroic and romantic themes um, it really had strong themes specifically for certain characters or um, like with the um, the Romeo and Juliet feel, like you were saying, Matt, of Anaxuna Moon and Imhotep. Um, I think that it just really played well with 
the scenes feeling um, and with having big themes for people that were a, a recurring theme. This is really interesting because I'm at a complete opposite of both of you. I don't think this is a great score. Um, oh, I really? think this is actually a pretty lazy score uh, from Goldsmith. I think one is that it plays a little bit too much into trying to sound obviously Middle Eastern. Um, and then much of uh, loving Jerry Goldsmith as I do, the action music sounds like it comes straight from just any of the soundtracks that I've heard for Star Trek. It's not, it's not original for himself and it, it, it doesn't have the sweeping grand theme that I would love to hear, especially for the hero in this movie or not just heroes, but here, not just the hero, but the heroes in this film, because I like to think that, you know, Rick is not the only hero in this movie. And, and honestly, it's really him uh, and Evelyn together that make up the hero ship, obviously. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just in a different place than both of you in this. And, and I that's that's it's quite all right. You know, I, I don't mind being in the the. The minority, I'm, I'm in the minority in about many things when it comes to film. Um, but I was honestly disappointed in this soundtrack because I have come to expect so much from from Goldsmith. I, I love him. I love his Star Trek work, and I love so many of the other scores he's done. Um, but this one is a misfire for me, and, and part of that is because I wanted there to be something that sounded... I guess uh, more on the lines of an Indiana Jones type of soundtrack where you really have a grand theme for the character and at the same time play with sounds of where you are. Um, and and this one just I didn't feel like was successful uh, enough for me. So, yeah, I'm I know that I, I've been with you for thick <laughs> and thin with Batman v Superman. And this is how you repay me, <laughs> that you come after me like this. <laughs> I know, I know it's, I, I, you know, I, I hate doing it and I hate saying it because like, I legitimately, you know, I have so many Goldsmith scores and so, and, and he is so good at creating thematic elements. I mean, and again, I like, I think I always go, kind of go back to like Rudy, you know, because Star Trek is easy to go to, but like. That's just a such a beautiful theme, and it fits that character so well. And I just I missed that kind of work here. And then, yeah, it was really the action music that sounded like so much of his Star Trek work, especially Star Trek V work. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it just yeah didn't work as well for me. So, well, I'm going to be interested because, you know, I feel like Tristan has been on the fence about the film the whole time. And so I'm really mm -hmm. wondering, you know, as we, we look towards our ratings. Um, yeah, Tristan, what would you what would you rate The Mummy? You know, I, I checked. Actually, you probably saw me go on my phone real quick while we were recording. And I was trying to check my letterbox review because I couldn't remember what I rated it. I was like, did I give this a 4.5 or did I give this a 5? And I gave it a 4.5. And honestly, I feel like I try to only give five stars to what I deem like perfect right. movies, like yeah. something I couldn't see change. Right. 
and or it need needed anything that needed to be changed and uh, you know like with a few things that i said before where like with some things going over the top with jonathan but that doesn't really ruin anything for mm-hmm. me I, like it i i i know this is i'm splitting hairs here but i'm on the fence between 4.5 and 5 i love this movie it's one of my favorites i think it's great it's i could watch this at any time it's so much fun it's great action great story great acting great characters and yeah it's i I'd, i'll probably stick with my 4.5 because i'm going to save the five stars for like the godfather okay i could see that uh yeah i i'm with you tristan i'm the same as far as rating movies i really prefer to keep fives for something that i just don't have any ticks off for at all um and this one, I have a couple of things that I think could have been done better. And I meant to say earlier, one that also stood out to me was um, in the writing with just the scenes where the mummy is composing his body. Finally, it feels like there's a lot of scenes in there where he's just walking with command. <laughs> um, and it, it doesn't really make sense why he just needs to be seen in different parts of Cairo walking with presence. <laughs> I think they just could have just made that go a little quicker, I guess. But um, aside from that, and the couple other things we mentioned, I think it's pretty great. And I've, like I said, watched it a million times. So I give it a four and a half out of five. Uh, and I did figure out what those curved swords are called. It's scimitars. Uh, nice. Or a sickle. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. Curved Egyptian sword. So yeah, <laughs> I give it four and a half out of five of those. You know, it's been it's been really interesting because obviously just talking through the movie is always fun with with people and you know seeing where they are and it's it's also a movie that I have not seen in a very long time and so you know um I I bought the the set that has them in 4K and and it looks great and I think it's always fun to be able to go back to a film and see what it really looks like and in a nice picture presentation with HDR and, you know, it just, uh, it's, this looks great. Uh, so I highly recommend, um, the, the look and if you can find this in 4k, um, and I, you know, for all that we talked about to me, this is still, I would give this, I think I would give this three and a half out of five. Um, I really enjoyed the movie but it's not one that I think moves into a conversation where I could I could be saying that this is like one of my favorite movies or anything. Um, but what it did make me excited for was was continuing with the series. And and I, in all honesty, I cannot remember how I felt about the other films. Um, and so we're going to be talking about the second part here in a few weeks and and i can't remember it all really um the mummy returns like which is kind of great you know i I kind of enjoy being able to go into these like not remembering um what it's like and so we'll definitely see um what it is like when we get there um tristan made a comment that made me think maybe it's not as good or it doesn't hold up. No, or... it was just it, it was just the there the, the CG, there it's famously bad with oh, CGI okay. 
showing the rock as the scorpion oh, king. Yes, That's I all do. I was okay. alluding yep. to. I do remember the scorpion king now that you mentioned that. Absolutely. So yeah. it's now the time of the show where we do give some recommendations for people and what they'd like to re- recommend to everybody here as listeners of the 602 Club. And so, Tristan, since you're our guest, um, was there anything that you would like to recommend to people that you've been checking out or watching or reading recently? Well, I haven't watched this recently, but I've been trying to tell people about it. And it's if you haven't seen it yet, it's very much worth your time. There's two seasons on Apple TV Plus of For All Mankind. It is it's a really good show. It's really well done. It's about an alternate history of what if the Russians, what if the Soviet Union landed on the moon first? What would the space race look like if it never ended? And it's it's a very good show. And they, they're, I think they're finishing the season three right now, and they've already been greenlit for a season four. If you're a T-Mobile user, you can get, I think, a year of Apple TV Plus for free. So check that out. It's also only five bucks a month, and yep. about two seasons are out. So it's very much worth those and five Ted bucks. And Ted Lasso's on there. So I, yeah, been, get it. And yeah, get it. Get it. There's, there's, a, there's some really good stuff. An Apple TV Plus right now. But yeah, I'm very much have been trying to tell my friends and family about For All Mankind. It is very much worth your time. Nice. I'm going to have to check that out. Um, I will say I was originally trying to decide what I was going to recommend because I've been into some different things lately. And I feel like I've been talking about a lot of documentaries. But um, I have something a little different this time that I almost forgot to mention. Um, I got back into reading comics again recently. Um, I kind of stopped for a while because I just was into some other stuff. But um, and I wanted to recommend 12 Gauge Comics, which is more of an independent group. Um, They actually started because they saw a gap in comics for um, crime and action adventure books. So they do a lot of that kind of stuff. And um, they've also been partnering with some awesome creators that I already liked, like Doug Wagner and um, artist Brian Stelfreeze, who is a master of color theory, if you've never seen his work. Um, So I'm currently reading a book that my um, friends Hoyt and his wife Lisa worked on called Yumi Spy Fatale Batty Royale that 12 gauge comics put out. So I recommend checking out 12 gauge comics and the Yumi book. Nice. That's awesome. I uh, have not not been reading very many comics recently. So that is really cool to know something that might be worth checking out. Um, Well, I would like to recommend to everybody. um, My wife and I just started um, going back through uh, a show from the nineties um, and it is called Mad About You, uh, Paul Reiser, Helen Hunt, and goodness, I forgot how funny this show is. Um, I also forgot how really true to life it is with married couples, especially younger married couples, um, and the things that you talk about and or argue about or any of those type of things. I think they do a fantastic job with really kind of getting into that, and I, I love it. I mean, it, it's... I'm just really enjoying it and it's you know it's fun to be able to go back to a show like that and and really dig into it and of course um you can find it on Amazon Prime for free which is great and also there was a revival I think f- uh, of it for one season there on Amazon Prime as well so definitely would say that is worth uh your your time to check out Mad About You especially if you've never seen it before um there are a lot of 
you know, those old, er, a lot of those older sitcoms that, you know, you just may have missed when they were on, or you may be seeing bits and pieces of. Um, and it's really fun to see, like, those older shows like that, how, you know, we talk about serialization and, and all that kind of stuff these days with shows, but they they weren't above making sure that they were connecting their episodes and their characters were going back in the day either, you know, and especially for the better shows. So it's definitely worth checking out, and I hope you will. Um, well, uh, Tristan, fantastic man to have you back on. And I'm really excited, honestly, that we are going to be going back and uh, talking about The Mummy Returns as well. Uh, and so can't wait to have you back. But um, tell everybody, uh, of course, we mentioned uh, the podcast that you do uh, beforehand. But again, remind everybody where they can find you online and th- what they should be checking out. Uh, yes, you should be checking out uh, thenerdparty.com. I, uh, I help create this network with, uh, with uh, uh, someone you might have known, Matt Rushing. And uh, we created the network together. And there's a lot of great content on there at thenerdparty.com. There's Star Trek shows, Star Wars shows. There is Babylon 5, Doctor Who, film, television, something for everyone. And new content coming at you every single day of the week. Uh, I have two shows on there. Second Contact, a Lower Decks podcast, commentary podcast, which we talked about. And I also host a show called House Lights, where we take a director one of our favorite directors, and we go through every single film of their filmography. Sometimes we bend the rules. Like right now, we're on Spielberg, and we didn't want to, you know, cut out the the next two years of our lives to talk about Spielberg because he has so many films. And so we're doing one from each decade, and then we're moving on to somebody else. So please check it out. And you can find me on uh, Twitter at the Insane Ramen, same username and on Letterboxd. Nice. Yeah, I keep saying I need to check out House Lights because John Mills has told me about it. So it, now that you're doing Spielberg too, I'm like, I have to. Um, and we're doing the 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 Spielberg movies that not everybody talks about. Like we just, our first one was Sugarland Express and we just recorded Always with Richard Dreyfuss, Holly Hunter and John Goodman. No one really talks about those films. We're not doing his worst films. We're just doing the ones that no one really talks about. Like how many more things are there to say about Jurassic Park and Jaws? Yeah. You know, so that's why we're doing that. Ah, cool. Uh, so for me, of course, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Best Ben Bell. And when I'm not here with Matt, I also do a show called Sabres and Spells with my friends Amanda and Teresa, where we talk about more of the niche geeky movies and shows that we don't usually get to talk about. So um, I know we've been on a bit of a hiatus, like I said, for Amanda's wedding which was a geek wedding. So I'll be sharing more of that stuff, but um, we'll be back soon um, when they get back from their honeymoon. Uh, And also you could find me here on the network uh, with a few different shows. Of course, um, got Snyder cuts here in the same feed. John Mills and I are about to start recording our next show that we're going to be doing, which is going to be a lot of fun of assembling Avengers. Uh, So that'll be coming there in October. So look for that. Uh, you can also find me doing Literary Treks and The Orb. Literary Treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek, and The Orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And i uh, got some new episodes of The Orb coming out soon, as well as we have a very special thing coming up. And hint, hint, it might have to do with it being a long road getting from there to here. So take a look for that there on the network. Um, you can also find me on social media all over the place, Matt Rushing 2 And on the Nerd Party Network, I finished Owl Post with Drea Kaufman, where we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. 
And last but not least, you can find me with the one and only John Mills talking about Star Wars on Aggressive Negotiations. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? 